1: In that case, I
3: pronounce you lucky.
1: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: Hello, this is Rick Houston, and welcome to the Scene Vault Podcast, your source for all things NASCAR history. Hello, it's your host, Rick Houston. I know that you were probably tuning in this week expecting to hear the second part of my interview with Junior Johnson, and we will get to that next week. But this week, I felt like it would be more appropriate to share some memories of the legendary motorsports journalist, Tom Higgins, who passed away on Tuesday morning. Now, I personally did not know Tom. (laughs) I personally did not know Tom that well because when i got into the sport he was already uh well into his third or fourth decade of covering nascar and so he was already i'll be honest with you he was already a pretty intimidating figure i remember very vividly standing in the infield media center in the lobby of the infield media center at charlotte and i believe it was october of 1992 I don't remember who I was talking to, but something happened and it was very funny and I laughed out loud and it was a loud laugh, evidently too loud. And from the working area of the media center, (laughs) Tom Higgins bellowed at the top of his voice, quiet and in that deep North Carolina mountain voice of his, it shook me to the very depth of my being. I've mentioned on Twitter, I just about peed in my pants right then and there. And I knew for a fact that my career in motorsports journalism was over because for lack of a better way to put it, Tom was pretty much the godfather. His word was law in that media center. And, and when he spoke, people jumped. And I certainly did that time. And certainly my boss, Steve Wade, was Tom Higgins, best friend. And Steve is not here this week. I felt like it would be more appropriate for him not even to worry about doing this podcast this week. He certainly got more important things on his mind to talk about. And I didn't know the connection between Tom and Steve when I got into the sport, before I got into the sport. But Dick Beatty, at that time, the recently retired former Winston Cup director, He lived in the same small town as I was working in at the time, Spartan, North Carolina, up in the mountains, the beautiful North Carolina mountains. He and his wife owned a cabin up there. And so I got to know Dick, not well, but I, I got to know him and I, you know, knew him well enough to say hello around town and so forth. When I interviewed for the job at scene, I went to Dick and I asked him, I said, Mr. Beatty, could you possibly help me out and put in a good word for me? He said, of course, I'll give Tom Higgins a call. And because I didn't know the connection, I was like, well, Mr. Beatty, um, (laughs) Tom Higgins doesn't work for Winston Cup scene. And he said, well, Tom Higgins and Steve Wade breathe out of the same damn lung. (laughs) And so that was the first time I kind of got an inkling of the deep respect that they had for each other. Certainly the deep friendship. I thought it would just be appropriate to give Steve this week off. Now, what I do want to do, because of the importance that Tom Higgins had in this industry and in motorsports journalism, I wanted to go to some of the people who knew him and let them share some of their memories of Tom because there is no way to understate exactly what he meant to the sport of NASCAR. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. First up, I'm honored to have nascar hall of famer rusty wallace join us rusty so many people have so many different memories of tom higgins but i really wanted to get the perspective of a driver and somebody that covered him and you know had those kinds of interactions with him what do you remember about tom higgins the journalist and the man well
0: i guess the first thing i remember about tom he's just such a honest person and such a such a nice person. There's, there's there's a lot of reporters out there nowadays, people reporting on our sport and different sports that are just, doggone it, they're always trying to find the dirt, you know, the,
1: <laughs> the, the, yeah. the
0: bad stuff. And Tom was a guy that was so honest and so into the actual performance of the car and how the athlete was doing. And Tom would sit down with me and just ask me tons of questions, and I was dead honest with him, and he always just wrote so... Fantastic, I thought. I mean, whenever, whenever Higgins come up to me and Tom wanted to do an article on me, I was like, absolutely honored. I'm like, oh my god, this is cool that Tom Higgins is getting a hold of me because I know this is going to be a good one. And so, Tom was just like uh, one of those guys that whenever he went to any of the drivers, I speaking for myself now, but I think the rest of them would agree. Then when they saw Tom coming, they went, oh, this is going to be good. I definitely want to sit and talk to this man because when he writes about me, it's going to be, you know, it's going to have some st- substance and it's not going to be somebody just trying to find dirt on something. I, that's what I call it. I call it dirt. It was just, he was just such a, a a wonderful person. He understood the sport. He understood the ups and downs of everything. He wrote so Awesome, in-depth and wonderful things about me and different drivers. And so I was honored to have Tom ever to do an article on me.
3: Tell me about the influence that he had as the reporter for the Charlotte Observer, because he was right there amongst all the teams, so all the teams read him. Well,
0: he was always known as the top guy. I mean, he was very well-respected, just a huge name in NASCAR and in all forms of sports for the
1: Charlotte Observer.
0: And, um, you know, he was our lead dog, in my opinion. He just brought so much honesty and respect to everything he did. I mean, you always wanted to read what Tom had to write about. And I know that I would go out there and maybe win the Coca-Cola 600 or whatever in Charlotte. I couldn't wait to open the paper up the next morning to see what Tom wrote about me.
3: <laughs> or I might
0: yeah. win Rockingham, you know, Rockingham, North Carolina. And I'm like. I don't know what Tom's going to say, you know. And uh, it was always good. It wasn't like, oh, he, he run like crap all day long. I got lucky and won with two laps to go and stuff like that. He was like, Rusty ran in the top five all day long. He moved up to third with five laps to go. His team was working hard on the pit stops and when it countered, they made it happen and he drove the victory with five laps to go and he made it dramatic, but he made it honest. He was not the type of guy that wrote doom and gloom uh, just to get a reaction. He wrote with with honesty and respect and I can honestly tell you without a doubt that Tom Higgins, in my opinion, was respected by every driver and every car owner In this sport, I cannot think of one person that would have any problem with the way Tom wrote about him. And any time that Tom would write about him, buddy, they better believe they just got a gift to them because this man was incredible.
3: Tom was very well known for being able to form relationships with the people that he covered. Were you ever able to spend any time with Tom away from the racetrack?
0: No, I was not able to spend time away at the racetrack like maybe other drivers were, and I think it was because Tom was, uh, you know, Tom knew the older drivers more than he knew me. I came from St. Louis, Missouri, and I was just this young guy getting going, uh, but I was still right there in the meat and potatoes. And when Tom was doing some great writing about everybody. But he had a better relationship with you know Richard Petty and Dale Earnhardt, guys like that that he had with me, although him and I were great friends. We were. And, and again, I just every time he wrote, it was just like, oh, my gosh, this guy's writing about me. I'm so excited to be able to have a story written on my race or about me or a uh, behind the scene, scene story by Tom Higgins because you just knew the guy was going to do your right. He just he just knew that he was going to not exaggerate and write something that wasn't true. He was going to write the real deal, and it was just the right way of doing it, and he was just fantastic.
3: Rusty, your first cup race was in 1980, and I think your first full-time year was in maybe 83, 84, somewhere in there. I would assume that as much... As he wrote about you, for as long as he did, that at some point there might have been a story that you didn't like. You might have been spun out a little bit about. How did you handle those situations, if and when they did happen?
0: Well, I obviously didn't like anything that people wrote about me bad, but I knew if I did something that was questionable and controversial, I was going to get a read about, and so I respected that i don't i can't tell you i liked it you know I don't think anybody would like <laughs> yeah. anybody writing anything bad about him but you know it's what you got to do if he does something wrong out there if it's controversial you're gonna get wrote about and i had plenty of that uh by a lot of reporters in tom about me but you know he was the type of guy that look i'm if i if i can find a way i honestly felt like tom was the type of guy. if i could find a way to give you a little break I'm going to give you a little break. I'm not just going to go for the juggler every single time and try to bury you all I possibly can. He was not that type of guy. He he could see between the lines. He knew how tough it was the times out there, you know. Uh, You know, lap down and two laps down after you've been leading the race, and you're frustrated to
3: hell, and you're cussing like a madman on the (laughs) radio. Surely not. (laughs) Yeah, all yeah, all
0: hell's breaking loose. He's the type of guy that, man, I get it, I understand it, you know. And that's the, I I guess, summing it up, I could. He's just such a. He just got what we were about, and he always gave us the benefit of the doubt. But he always reported the the truth about the sport and the exact thing about the sport. I'm going to miss him a lot. He's just a cool dude, a big person, tall in stature. When you looked at him, you didn't look at him. You looked up at him.
3: <laughs> yeah. And
0: it was just gave you that... Feel you know like he uh th- you need to look at this man you need to respect this man because this is a big person walking up to you that's got a, a, a you know a, a great following that always done people right and he's just um, he just immediately demanded respect uh, at least that's the
3: way i felt basically what i hear you saying is that he was fair in his reporting <laughs> he
0: was super fair he was super fair and he was one of the guys he didn't even want to go towards a controversy and all the crap he, you know yeah. I, I couldn't even i couldn't even say what that might be but he he didn't go that direction he 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 went towards the car the performance the story behind the car performance and he always he was always fair to the drivers and the owners he didn't go for the just a controversial dirt you know and, and that's what I hate about some reporters but he was not like that yeah he just he's just one of the, the true true old guards of the sport he's when I first came down to NASCAR from st. Louis Missouri which is back in 1983 I moved to North Carolina from st. Louis living in Cliff Stewart's rental home up in High Point North Carolina in and Tom Higgins was reporting then, and I remember Tom saying, "Here comes this fella from ASA who's winning all of the races. We hope he has a great uh, the tour down here in NASCAR, and all said all kind of positive things about me, you know." And drove for Penske one time in 1980 and finished second. Let's see what this kid could do. Since then, he's went and won the ASA championship, and now he's in NASCAR and uh, we'll check him out and he was he wrote I was good about me I won the rookie year my very first year in 1984 and had good runs And Tom was just constantly honest and constantly constantly good and like I say he's my gosh what, I wish I could think of it, the word I'm trying to use but he was the the god of motorsports Damn, he just he almost felt that way to me like if if, if somebody's going to report on motorsports the correct way I've I'm, I'm always thought of Higgins
3: Joining me now <laughs> is none other than Deb Williams, and I got to tell you, I absolutely owe my career to Deb and to Steve because they took a chance on a, a, a basically unknown reporter who was working at a small weekly newspaper in the mountains of North Carolina, and Deb and Steve hired me, and I will forever be grateful for that. Deb, how you doing? Fine, thank
2: you. How are you doing? And I'm honored that you asked me to be on your show with you. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, we're, we're going to sit you down.
2: You haven't forgotten me.
3: <laughs> no, absolutely I haven't forgotten. How in the world could I do that? I do want to ask about your memories of Tom Higgins. Obviously, he was such an important part of this sport for such a long time. What are some of your memories of him?
2: You know, it's really interesting how things happen. Of course, Tom and I actually got to be closer friends after he retired from his motorsports job and i think that was because we would see each other at functions and lots of times when we would go to say stocks for tots or a function to help raise money for an older driver tom and i would be seated beside each other at the autograph table and that's when we got to talking and of course tom like myself are, you know, from the mountains of western North Carolina. He grew up in Burnsville, and I grew up in Canton. And it turned out that his first newspaper job was actually in my hometown. And he was covering the champions of Canton, which was the fast-pitch softball team (laughs) that was funded by the paper mill there. Wow. And so he was covering the ball game while I was a child in the grandstand and down in the Gravel box or sandbox playing, and we would talk about some of the players because I knew the players as well: Bobby Hawkman and Wade Garrett, Snake Moore and Gus Calligeractus, and um, you know I think all of them in their hall of fame now. But um, so we enjoyed that, and you know I don't think a lot of people realize too. Uh, That Tom Higgins and Waddell Wilson, who was such a fabulous engine builder, went back to their actual high school growing up days. And that uh, Waddell grew up in Barnardsville, which is across the mountain from Burnsville, where Tom's father was a wildlife officer. And one time they were playing basketball against each other, and Waddell punched Tom Higgins. (laughs) Wow. And the face. Yeah, so that's how far Waddell and Tom went back. But, um, you know, the thing that was neat about Tom, Tom was a great storyteller. I mean, and that's something that I guess you kind of learn in the mountains because good storytellers or great storytellers come from the mountains of North Carolina or the Appalachian Mountains. And, um, you know, with his father being a wildlife officer, he loved the outdoors. He loved fishing, and, uh, of course, later playing golf. And uh, he was a person who he had a good heart. His heart was as big as his physique. And <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> he truly cared about the competitors and the sport. You know, it wasn't just a job for him. It was a passion. And... If he cared about you, he would do anything in the world for you. Uh, he and I talked many times uh, after he retired, and I said, you know, one of the biggest mistakes I made in my career was not applying for your job when it was announced you were retiring. And he made me feel so good when he said, well, you would have gotten it because I would have recommended you for it. And that, that just meant the world to me, that Tom Higgins thought I was good enough to step in and meet him as a motorsports rider for the Charlotte Observer. And, um, you know, if he saw and, and appreciated you and, and respected you, he would do anything in the world for you.
3: And it didn't matter if you were Buddy Baker or Del Earnhardt or Deb Williams or whoever. I think that applied. I think that kindness certainly applied with him.
2: Oh, it did. It did, most definitely. And, you know, of course, the friendship that existed between him and Steve Wade was no secret.
3: And <laughs> yeah. I
2: don't—I I, I have to admit, I often call them the Boxy twins. Yeah. But— um, a lot of people don't understand where that stemmed from. And once you knew the story of where that stemmed from, it suddenly made sense. And it stemmed from the fact that Tom's wife had become very ill at the time and he had to leave, my memory serves me correct, it was Darlington. And Steve I don't remember if Steve was working for the Martinsville paper or the Roanoke paper. But uh, there was a story breaking at Darlington, and everybody knew that it, it could break when Tom had to leave to, to come back to Charlotte because of his ill wife. And, um, you know, some of the other reporters were gonna sat him in the back basically was what yeah. it amounted to. And oh the shot you know, the big motorsports rider from the Charlotte Observer missed the story. Well Steve Wade made sure that Tom did not miss the story. Yeah. And Steve gave Tom the call that he needed to do his job while he was also taking care of his family. Yeah. And um, you know, he he was a, Tom was a very loyal person, and if you showed loyalty to him, he had your back and was loyal to you as well.
3: Everybody, basically, that I've talked to so far has mentioned the drivers who had trust in Tom, but he also had trust within the media corps in general and with Steve Wade in particular. He did, and, you know, there
2: was some jealousy. because uh, <laughs> because of him then the motorsports rider writer for the Charlotte Observer. And, of course, the Charlotte Observer was the largest circulated daily newspaper in both Carolinas uh, at the time. Uh, Sunday circulation was over 200,000. And, of course, when anybody had a story to break or wanted to release a story, even if NASCAR wanted to put a filler out there as to you know, what, how somebody felt about something uh, to get a reaction from the fans and the competitors, it was given to Tom. Yeah. And that created a lot of jealousy among the writers, particularly when they were beat writers and their editors were saying, well, how come you got beat on this story and why didn't you break it? Yeah. And so, you know, that was an issue. And um, I will readily admit that Sometimes it caused a conflict between Steve and me because I had people say, I'm not giving you a story because you'll have to tell Steve to him being your boss and he'll go straight to Tom Higgins and I don't want it in the Charlotte Observer. Wow. So it, it adversely affected me when Griggs published an own scene. It adversely affected me getting some of the stories that I wanted to. To get or or break because they said, you know, Steve's going to know about it and we know Steve's going to give it to Tom. <laughs> Had a really bad crash on the backstretch in that high speed section before they put the bus stop in at Watson's Glen. And Cindy Carum, now Cindy Elliott, was our photo editor at the time. And she and I hopped into a car and went over to the backstretch, and we were the only reporters back there, the only photographer and the only reporter back there. And we got the quotes, and we got the reaction, and we got everything that was needed for the story. And um, we came back to the press box. And, of course, when I went into the press box, Steve wanted to know what I had, and I told Steve, and the next thing I know he's down there giving it everything to Tom. And <clears throat> I have to admit I was so mad I went out the stormed out of the press box and slammed the door so hard it should shook the old press box that walked Flint. So, you know, there was there was those type of issues and um, but everybody knew that they were best friends and um, you know I mean, let's face it, when you're on the road as much as we were on the road, and you know how it is, you need that person that's going to have your back and they're going to have yours, and that's just the way it is. We had each other's back. and, um, you know, it, it often, I have to admit, it often paid dividends for Steve, as well as, as Charlotte, as well as Tom. It wasn't a one-way street. It was definitely a two-way street. Tom loved to play his poker, and that first media tour in 1983, we only had one bus, and there was a poker game going back in the back of the bus, but when we were going from shop to shop, there was always a poker game going.
3: <laughs> Surely not. Surely not. Oh,
2: yeah. <laughs> just, like in the, just like in the hospitality suite at the uh, National Motorsports Press Association Convention, and uh, you know, at night, after the media tour functions were done at the hotel, there, were, there was always a poker game, and, you know, Barney Hall was there, and he was in on it, too, and I don't remember, Bar- remember Barney and Tom. I don't remember who the others were, but yeah, those were two big poker players back then, but, yeah, Tom, um, Tom like I said, Tom cared about the sport. He cared about people, and... That was what made him special. You know, you don't see a lot of that in the media today. You don't see the relationship that the media had with the competitors then. Right. today. And I think, again, that was because they knew he wasn't using them as a rung on his career ladder, like a lot of people do today.
3: Deb, is there anything else that you'd like to add?
2: You know, Tom also, and a lot of people may not know this, after he had a, he had problems with arthritis in his back, which was why he was kind of bent over in his later years, if anybody saw him at the NASCAR Hall of Fame a couple of years ago. But he knew when he had one uh, health procedure, he was going to have to get out and walk a lot. And... He knew he needed something to make him get out and walk. And he got a little dog. And the dog's name was Zorro. And he was so fond of that dog. And, of course, the dog adored him as well. But I know we were at an autograph session a few years ago at the museum in Morrisville on Highway 150, and he said, you know, I've got Zorro in the car, and I just really don't want to leave him in there. And I said, well, go get him and bring him in here and put him in your lap. He'll be fine. And, um, of course, that was an an instant attention grabber. He (laughs) went out to the car and got the dog and brought him back in, and he sat there, Tom sat there and signed autographs with the dog in his lap. And uh, the dog was just as good and never made any problems or, you know, and, of course, everybody that came through the line made over the dog as well as Tom. But um, thankfully, these last few weeks when Tom was at a hospice house in Morrisville, at the Serenity House, Occasionally, his friends, uh, with his uh, female friend and maybe some other else, would bring the dog over and let the dog in bed with Tom. So you know that that was that was good, and that um, he he loved. After he went back home after he had his stroke last year, that left him paralyzed on his left side. We were talking one day on the phone, and he talked about how he enjoyed being at home where he could watch the squirrels play on the outside and watch people on the golf course. And he enjoyed, loved the outdoors just so much, loved fishing on the outer banks or, you know, fishing in the mountains. And uh, there were terms after the Bristol night race, he always, and Steve and would go with him after that Bristol night race on Saturday night, on Sunday, they would drive to Mount Mitchell and they would play golf at the Mount Mitchell golf course. And, um, you know, he, he was, uh, he had a booming voice. Uh, I'm sure most everybody knows his nickname <laughs> was happy. Yeah. And, uh, if you caught him the wrong way, you heard that booming voice in that media center of that press box. <laughs>
3: I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Absolutely none. <laughs> uh uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Particularly
2: if there were a lot of people talking and he was on deadline.
3: Next up is the one and only Mike Hembry. Now, Mike and I were talking before we started recording. Mike, you started out in columbia then went to spartanburg and then to greenville is that correct
4: yeah I sort of made a tour of south carolina newspapers uh <laughs> there, there for
0: some period of time
3: yeah uh, and then you started at nascar scene the reason why we're talking obviously is, is pappy tom higgins what do you think he meant to this sports legacy
4: oh he he helped build the sport there's no question about it one of the one of the foundational people um and I'm not talking about just in, within the media. I mean, period. He he was uh, he was almost there at the creation. Came along, obviously a few years after the sport started, but but it was very much still in the building process at that point. And Tom just kind of filled in there with everybody, and he he had almost the perfect background to start covering stock car racing at that point in time, the late '50s, when you know most of the drivers were were from the Carolinas or or other more rural areas and Tom of course is from the North Carolina mountains he was a he was a hunter he was a fisherman so he and and most of them were so his background just kind of fit in with all those guys and you know the times were really different then drivers hung out with the media and went to dinner with them and perhaps on rare occasions had a had a drink with them you know things like that (laughs) yeah and uh, Higgins just, just fit right in with that group. They, they all became really tight, really quick. And so he heard all the stories. He knew all the stories, wrote most of them. Some you couldn't write, but the ones you could, he, he pretty much wrote them over the years and uh, just had a, had a crazy long uh, backlog of, of great stories, about particularly about the old timers.
3: Well, you know, you being based in South Carolina for as long as you were, I would assume that you built up a a fairly good relationship with Bud Moore's team, David Pearson, you know, some of the other South Carolina folks, Cotton Owens. But Tom being based in Charlotte, writing for the Charlotte Observer, he basically had relationships basically with everybody in the sport. What does that kind of trust and that kind of relationship between a driver or a team member team owner mean with a member of the media oh i
4: think it means everything to to, to both parties uh, and, it, and it's changed so much that that kind of relationship anymore is is nearly impossible to uh, to have developed because of the way the sport has changed the the contact between media people and drivers is is so different now than than even 15 years ago much less back in the 60s you know, tom's a Tom's kind of beginnings. Um, it meant that when things happened, a driver or maybe a, a crew chief that Tommy got to know pretty well, they weren't afraid to pick up the phone and call Tom and say, hey, you you might not know this, but I've heard that driver X is going to be moving over to team Y. And uh, <laughs> yeah, they're going to talk about it next week. But I can tell you for a fact, it's going to happen. And Tom had enough trust in people like that to... To go ahead and, and run with that story. After I'm sure he confirmed it was somebody else. You rarely get that situation anymore, and he was he was pretty much the expert at that.
3: What do you think it meant to his popularity that he was based in Charlotte?
4: It helped because the, the, the sport was growing there in those years. Um, you know, back in the in the early 60s, it would, you could quite possibly call Spartanburg the, the capital of the sport. Right, a lot of the teams were based there. Yeah. And steadily, everything kind of migrated towards Charlotte, I think largely because the track there opened uh, around that same time, and uh, it was just natural for, for the sport to kind of follow one of the first big tracks uh, built in that period. Um, and, and Tom was also fortunate to work at the Observer, which uh, dedicated itself to covering the sport the right way, uh, eventually putting him on the road every week for every, for every cup race. And nobody else had, had made a commitment even closer to that at that point in time. So when the racing people found out that whoever worked for Charlotte was gonna be there every week, it became natural for them to associate media coverage with that person, with that paper. So it gave Tom a, a really good end um, almost from the beginning.
3: Do you have any stories about Tom that you would like to share that maybe you could share? <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he, um,
4: <clears throat> he worked really hard at the racetrack. Um, uh, one thing I remember about him is once he got his material together and he sat down at, at the uh, first the typewriter and later on the computer to write his stories, he <clears throat> He didn't really want to be bothered. He was—he get upset when he <laughs> get upset when there was too much noise in the press box, and media center, and uh, but five seconds after he finished, it was it was party time again, and, and he was ready to go. Um, and there are legendary stories about the media back in the '60s and '70s, um, and the and some of those stories became legendary and, and legendary and largely not mentionable because of, of the antics involved and because quite often the uh some of the drivers were involved you know um some driver would come along pick up a couple of meaty guys and they would go out to uh well, let's describe it as maybe a tavern nearby and have a few too many drinks and Before you know it, there was a drag race on the local highway or somebody was driving a rental car into a swimming pool on a dare, you know, things like that. And and Tom was around for some of that. Um, He talked about some of that stuff occasionally and some of the weird stuff that uh, he and Buddy Baker would get into. He and Buddy became fast friends uh, really quickly and shared a lot of good times together. I remember Tom telling me when Buddy found out that he was going to have to have uh, surgery on his brain. Buddy called him and said, uh, Tom, I just want you to know I'm going to the hospital tomorrow. Got to have uh, minor brain surgery. And <laughs> Tom said he told him, well, Buddy, I don't think any surgery involving the brain is minor. <laughs> so, <laughs>
2: so,
4: uh, but uh, they, he and Buddy had some great times together, particularly uh, fishing on the mountain lakes and, and so forth. Uh, Tom really had a had a full life, both uh, in racing and, and, and other things. You know, he wrote, wrote for the uh, Observer about uh, out, the outdoors at the same time he was covering racing and was exceptional at that too. He knew the knew the hot spots to fish, and he knew the people to call to set up the best fishing trips and where the, where the fish were biting. And he, he knew so many people along the coast he could just pick up the phone and say, "Hey, you know, we're we're coming down next week. Where should we go? That kind of thing." And and he found out quickly. It was a uh, it was quite a life. He was uh, I, I I would wouldn't even think the hazard to guess how many people knew Tom really well. Had to be into the thousands because yeah. he was yeah. he went everywhere and knew everybody. Wrote about so many different things, so many different people. Um, it was pre- pretty full 80 years.
3: I think it's funny that you mentioned that he didn't like to be disturbed while he was working because I did tell a story in the intro to the podcast about making a little too much noise in the lobby of the media center and, and him calling me down. And I got to tell you, when Tom Higgins called you down in the NASCAR infield Media Center, it was like the voice of God. <laughs> yeah.
4: He had a he had a pretty uh, authoritative booming voice, no question about it. And uh, you're in pretty good company there. He uh, he had to do that more than more than a few times over the years.
3: Well, now I don't feel so bad. So yeah, uh, Mike, anything else you'd like to share?
4: I think that'll do it. I, you know, we'll just miss him. He he's been gone from the media centers for a while now, of course, but uh, still came around now and then to see everybody. Um, just a great. A great guy, one you'd want to be buddies with. Uh, his memory is going to carry on for for a long time.
3: Next up is my former boss. Well, everybody at Sane was my boss. Uh, I guess the janitor was the <laughs> was my boss at Winston Cup scene. But the former executive editor of Winston Cup Sane, NASCAR Sane, Jeff Owens. And Jeff, obviously everybody in the media center knew of Tom Higgins. There were several who actually got to know the person. What do you think Tom's legacy meant to the sport of NASCAR? Well, you know, I think he was he was certainly the dean of, of
1: NASCAR riders and the dean of the media. Um, you know, he had covered the sport uh, before you and I even got there. He had covered it probably for 20 or 30 years, dating back to the, the 60s and the 70s. And, and he was really one of the first, if not the first, uh, reporter that was out there at every single race. Uh, you know, he was working for the Charlotte observer at the time and, uh, he was at every race and everybody knew Tom. And and he was the guy who really, uh, from a, from a newspaper and print perspective who sort of helped, uh, the sport grow into a national sport uh he was out there at every single race and uh talking to the drivers and and writing about the drivers and helping them become the personalities that they were you know he you know he started back in the days of of petty and pearson and allison and yarborough and all those guys and um you know, just helped it become a national sport. And um and, and he by doing all that, Tom sort of became a, a legendary figure himself. Uh if you covered NASCAR um you know, back in those days and on up until, you know, the early 2000s, everybody knew Tom Higgins and uh, everybody got to know him. And uh, certainly one of the things that you enjoyed most was sitting down and hearing his stories uh, about the old days and the way things were back then and and stories about certain drivers. And uh, that was the thing that I probably enjoyed the most about Tom. You know, when I first came into the sport back in 1992, uh, I was just learning. I didn't know a whole lot about the sport it was totally new to me and uh one of the one of the ways that i learned was sitting down and talking to guys like tom higgins and steve Wade, and uh i'll never forget the many many times that you know we all went out to dinner together on the road and uh it was it was an incredible time and and just incredibly entertaining just sitting back and and listening uh to those two guys just tell stories uh, about the way things were back in the, the 70s and the 80s and in the old days of the sports and uh, i would imagine everybody that's been around the sport for any length of time and you, tom has got stories like that and uh, we'll, we'll never forget them
3: <laughs> well you do bring up a point tom higgins stories and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everybody has a couple maybe that they can share publicly what's your best tom higgins story
1: oh boy uh there's so many. I just remember him talking a lot about you know, and a lot of them are stories that you probably can't share. But <laughs> just, just the way the sport was back in the old days, and how you could go out there in the garage and and uh, and really talk to these guys and get to know them and uh, and get pretty close to them. I mean, back in those days, uh, it was a lot different than it even was when you and I came came along. When we came along, you could still go in the garage and talk to the drivers and uh, and get to know them pretty well but back in Tom's day when he first started you know they were they were pretty close friends with him and they not only hung out together uh, at the racetrack uh, they did things you know together away from the rac- racetrack and just hearing him tell stories about traveling up up and down the road, with guys like buddy baker and david pearson and those guys and, and some of the shenanigans they used to get into uh you know there was uh i'm sure everybody knows there was a, a lot of a lot of partying that went on
3: back in those days no and, uh, certainly <laughs> not I know surely it's not believe. it's hard
1: to believe and uh, but then and, and i really don't think you know a lot of that sort of stuff that that sort of stuff is sort of taboo now and you can't you know the, there came a period of time when you had to stop doing stuff like that because of all the, the corporate Sponsors uh, coming into the uh, the sport, but uh, you know it, it used to be uh, pretty wild and colorful and a lot of fun back in those days. And Tom used to tell a lot of stories. Uh, he used to tell a lot of stories about Buddy Baker. I, I remember that uh, he used to go hunting and fishing with Buddy Baker a lot, and he'd tell stories about uh, you know going up and down the road and getting pulled over by cops, and uh, you know the cops. You know, figuring out who Buddy was and letting him go and st- things like that. And um, one of the funniest stories I-, I heard Tom tell, and this was, I think, later, uh, back in the 90s. And, uh, it, you know, it was a story that, that kind of went back to his newspaper days, but also kind of showed, you know, his the way he felt about the sport, too. A lot of people remember uh, that awful
3: crash that Michael Waltrip had uh, that year at Bristol. I know exactly and, what you're uh, going to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a, it
1: was a it was an awful story, but yeah. it was a hilarious story too. You know, he was he was sitting in the press box at Bristol, and he saw that crash with Michael Waltrip, and and the crash was so bad that you know Michael Waltrip you know, his, the seat of his car was practically sitting on the racetrack, you know, and the car was destroyed. And, uh, uh, you know, Tom picked up the phone immediately and called the Charlotte Observer and, uh, you know, and told them. they answered the phone and said, yeah, Tom, what's up? He goes, hold the presses. Michael Waltrip's been killed. He's dead. And then, uh, <laughs> you know, he kind of watched what went on. And then a few minutes later, he called back, You know, probably two minutes later, he called back. Well, check that. All right. He's okay. He's walking away. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and and, and Tom just had that way about him. Tom was uh, I would almost call Tom sort of like a folk hero. Uh, He was a very folksy guy. You know, his father uh, grew up as a game warden in uh, North Carolina up around the Burnsville area, and he told some really fascinating stories about, uh, you know, his father. And Tom was just a kind of a good old country boy who just, you know, grew up in the, the woods and the mountains of North Carolina, and he loved hunting and fishing, and he just had a thousand stories about things like that. So, I, you know, I sort of, you know, coming into the sport as a, as a young reporter and a young journalist, and, uh, you know, I looked up to him uh, for for the things that he had done but you know just for the people he knew and contacts and stuff but he was almost like a like a folk hero, he was very folksy, and and he, you know, he was very country. And to sit down and hear him tell a story was not only fascinating; it was highly entertaining. And uh, I kind of always sort of compared him to sort of the Junior Johnson of the press box. Uh, that was kind of the type of guy he was. You know, you could just sit and listen to this guy talk and tell stories all day long. And uh, you know, he always had a lot of uh, wisecracks and one-liners in the press box. And he uh, was just a joy to be around, and uh, and I think all of us, uh, you know, learned a tremendous amount from him.
3: Next up is none other than Jay Wells. And I got to tell you, Jay is my hero. First of all, Jay, when I broke into the sport, he was a PR person for Skull U.S. Tobacco at the time. And Jay, you actually took me backstage at a Van Halen concert. I got to tell you, that is probably one of the number one memories that I have of my extracurricular activities based around NASCAR.
5: Well, I remember that day I asked you, if you wanted, to, you know, climb in the car and go, and you kind of look at me like, "Are you really serious?"
3: <laughs>
5: yeah, I really am. Really am. I know. I know them, and they were kind of like, "Okay, sure you do, right? Sure you do." And so when we drove right in the back gate, offered our name, threw it right in, put it in the park, walked right in, put a pass on you, pose for the picture. Let's go to a rock and roll show.
3: <laughs> and you know what? I've got Alex Van Halen's drumsticks right now. I'm looking at them in my there office. You know. There you go. You know, in all honesty, I think that you have an incredibly varied resume because you actually started out as a tire buster for Goodyear, and those guys worked for a living. Like
5: 1970, I was like 15 years old, then went moved on to Huggins Tire Sales Goodyear, and then, of course, when that position came open, uh, there was an assistant position at Rockingham, and I ran into L.G. DeWitt and Benny Parsons, who are barring— Ross Huggins' airplane in Atlanta, because he had to go back home to get some work done on his back for his chiropractor, and that's where I met Mr. DeWitt, and Mr. DeWitt talked to Ross and said, what is this guy you know, doing working for you? And he said, you know, he's supposed to be working for me.
2: <laughs>
5: and Ross didn't really understand, and it goes back to the days of JLC Webb, the former president of Speedway and stuff like that, I've got no, and uh, it's it, it just, you know, all this time and everything came around and just, you know, sooner or later, boom. Here I am at Rockingham, an assistant PR guy, and uh, you know, I had a great background from the good tire racing division. Now going into the PR part of it, which my degree from University of South Carolina, you know, which I finally got that. And made my mama real proud. Like I said, I wanted to put that to some good use. Yeah. And um, and it was through that time that you know, when I went to my very first MPA convention down at Myrtle Beach in 1979, I ran to one of my heroes, like all of us, Tom Higgins. And I could not tell you how nice of a guy, and how much come forward he was. That you know, from the very beginning, we hit it off, and uh, and through him and his, I call always his, his co partner Steve Wade, we always kind of seemed to run together for some reason.
3: You say that you ran with Steve Wade and Tom Higgins. <laughs> now, what kind of stories can you share publicly of that relationship? <laughs> not that many. Um, <laughs>
5: I mean, it was just—it was just always just the, the fun time we had at the uh, at the press parties and the Winston parties and the and the sponsor parties, track parties. Uh, Darlington was always a great time where we're always sitting by the pool at Darlington at the Sheraton down at Sheraton Swamp Fox off of Highway seventy six. I remember, like I said, that uh, you know Sunday evening before the Southern five hundred, everybody had the day off pretty much, and just listen, Tom. Yeah. Listen to Tom tell him about the great legends of, of NASCAR from Buck Baker, Herb Thomas. He knew them all. He, he had seen them all run. And uh, he did talk about his first experience at Darlington where, you know, literally cars are going over the guardrail, you know, just barely missing the press box. And everybody's ducking and diving. And, and Tom's like, well, you know. They gave me another set of goggles here. I lost my, my pair. So they gave them this open-air press box, with the, which is like a chicken wire fence in front of it with all the debris and everything being cached up. They gave him a, a pair of goggles to wear. I remember telling hearing that stories and, and, and just those kind of on and on and on occasions that uh, uh, you know that Tom could only tell the story of. That's what really made it so special.
3: What do you think Tom's legacy is going to be?
5: He's the Dean of Motorsports Riders. I mean, he's, I mean, we have our shab Glicks out in LA Times, and we have all these great notable writers, you know, from Blois, Britain, Associated Press from years past, but Tom was the very first beat rider. Yeah. He was the first guy the Sharp observer assigned to go to all, at the time, I think it was like 31 races. Yeah. And now, of course, it's up to 38, 41, counting the three events and everything. Special events. And, you know, and Tom, but he covered everything for the Sharp Observer the news, the background, in between stuff. I don't know when the guy took a day off, but that's where I always remember Tom being so reliable because you'd always grab the Sharp Observer and always, every day, know what was going on in motorsports because Tom had the latest news. And even I leaked a few stories to him myself in the past, you know, about some U.S. tobacco stuff. But, you know, Tom was the one that always kind of broke the story in a lot of ways. Because everybody always trusted him to be that guy to tell the story truthfully. Yeah. But I remember one of the greatest things I ever saw that he ever wrote was the day that Ronald Reagan was, uh, you know, there at the race of 4th July or Daytona. And Tom's line was in the paper the next day was, it's the only time he ever remember a county commissioner to ever upstate the president president of the United States. <laughs>
3: That and was Tom, all right. The kind
5: of thing is that you know Tom was always such a wit of the word, and it was just so common sense. It wasn't anything fancy. It wasn't he was not anything fancy. I mean Tom's background. We always talk about sticking ball sports and sports writers that way and all this. Tom's background is from you know being from wildlife. His father was uh, one of the wildlife agents in the mountain areas of Burke County and all that area, and so he knew all the stuff about hunting. He knew all the stuff about fishing trapping, all these different other kind of, you know, outdoor sports that none of us ever knew anything about, but Tom and his legacy and his stories that he told from the Burnsville paper to the Asheville Citizen Times to the Charlotte Observer, I mean, all these different things taught him more and more and more and more, and we all feel, I know, personally, I feel so blessed not to just not only know him, but to also be able to, every day, to get the Charlotte Observer. But even when I worked for Huggins' Tire seals back in 1978, <laughs> I even had the Sharp Observer. I even subscribed to it for the, for the paper along with the High point Enterprise. And I wanted to just keep it going on and racing that bad.
3: You are the third or fourth person that I've talked to about Tom, and all of you have mentioned trust with the competitors. What do you think that meant to his success, that he was able to have that kind of relationship with the people that he covered?
5: Well, see, Tom always told the truth. That was the key deal. He he never wrote anything on a on uh, like a whim or a uh, rumor. Everything was always proven, or something broke the story. He knew it because people knew to trust him that so they would get it that he would get it right the first time. Right. And Tom just had this ability that she always felt comfortable around him. So you just weren't just telling them a, a news article or a piece of news. You feel kind of comfortable like you're talking to a good family friend as well.
3: Is there anything else that you can think of?
5: Well, I mean, you know, the, I, I can tell you some stories off the record.
3: <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's just between me, you, and a few hundred listeners.
5: Uh, no, I can't. I, can't <laughs> I, I just have too much respect for that man. I know, and, uh, I know. You know, all the fun times. And, of course, it you know, always was a little embodiment of uh, a little... Little, who knows what we all drank back in those days? And uh, thank God we all quit. But uh, it was a fun time, and it was just kind of a part of the part of the way that life was then. And and it was just kind of roll with the flow. And and from 1979, from the time I met him to, like I said, from my time at NASCAR through '85, even then I kept staying in contact with Tom, and we'd ever now and then have a lunch or catch up what was happening. And of course, uh, many times went to the football games with him and Wade, and uh, always with a pretty girl ever walked by, you always knew about it because Tom would let you know. Yeah. Aye, so they, man, he, cool. he could make a type, He could make the whole press box just stop immediately by just shouting out a few words. You know. <laughs> aye, so aye, boy, man. Two o'clock. Fire in the hole. Click. <laughs> <laughs> Everything in Talladega, the whole press box, silence as <laughs> you drop a pin yep. to hear the hair drop because there was just so much silence. <laughs>
3: Oh, man. I right, man. He was
5: a, yeah, he, he was such a great guy. He just could tell the story, and he wrote it the way he felt it, the way he saw it, the way it was honestly portrayed. And, uh, I mean, there was nothing he ever had to, have you ever, Rick, in your mind, ever known that anything he had to come back to say, I was mistaken on, I was wrong on, I never saw it. No, if he ever was because in fact he no. was always so much dead right on yeah. and like I said not only that but the fishing columns that he wrote for the Sharp Observer Yeah, I mean he, he if that wasn't enough he didn't have enough stuff to do already covering motorsports then he also said yeah I'll do outdoor fishing too no problem <laughs> I mean, and, and he covered it all I mean he knew he knew all the right people where to call all the fishing stories see I'm not much of an angler so I have to apologize for you know not knowing much about fishing but like people like Ed Clark, who went fishing with him up there on Lake Lure a couple times, you know, they could say He could t- tell you some, share some stories with you as well, as with, with you as well. But he was just, you know, the stories that he would tell you about fishing and hunting and trapping and his fallen father, and you know, was a, like I said, a game warden, and it's just all these different stories. It's just, it, it's just such a legacy that I feel like such a blessing just be a part of.
3: And finally, I put a note out on Twitter that if anybody had any memories of Tom that they would like to share, to email us at scenevault at yahoo.com. And I got a really cool note from Fred Petke. And he never met Tom. He never worked with Tom. But he wanted to. And so I thought it would be cool to share this note that he wrote as simply a reader of Tom's and how much Tom impacted Fred's career as a journalist. Fred said, I don't remember how I learned about Tom Higgins. While I was going to college in Banner Elk, North Carolina, I discovered the college library subscribed to the Charlotte Observer. Always looking for racing news, I started checking every day for the latest tidbits. Tuesday was the big day because Tom's column with all the news from the weekend published. As soon as the library opened, I was there looking for the sports pages. Through the years, I learned what a gifted writer and storyteller he was. The Stock Car Legends Reunion VHS series is a case in point. My career goal during college was to become a NASCAR beat writer, so my reading was always studying both information and how to write, textbooks, and newsprint. I eventually got a gig freelancing some racing columns for the local weekly newspaper and finagled press credentials to both Bristol and North Wilkesboro in April 1994. I don't recall seeing Tom Higgins there. I would have been too timid to say anything anyway. Reading Tom's work and hearing his war stories, especially about the early days of the sport, made me wish I was there, or at least sitting in the same room hearing him retell the tales. It felt like I was as much as any reader can. I've been a working journalist now for 23 years. I have the war stories to tell when the opportunity arises. The NASCAR journalism did not materialize for me because I found I enjoyed doing news and wanted racing to be my hobby and distraction. I remember, though, how eagerly I waited for Tom's columns every Tuesday. I want my readers to have that anticipation for the newspaper. I want to be able to tell a good story. Tom Higgins was one of my professional heroes and one of my teachers about the sport that means so much to me. Godspeed. Fred, thank you so much for that note. That about wraps it up for this episode of the Scene Vault podcast, and hopefully you've been able to get a picture of who Tom Higgins was, not only as a reporter, but as a person as well. And that's my goal for this podcast, is that you get to know the people, get past the fame and the fortune and the glitz and the glamour and that kind of thing. I want you to get to know the real people behind all these amazing events that they were able to take part in. Now, I've mentioned it in other podcasts, and I'm going to mention it in this one. You can support the production of this podcast on a monthly basis at patreon.com slash the scene podcast. Would truly appreciate your support over there. Or if you would prefer to help out with a single contribution rather than on a monthly basis, you can do so at paypal.me slash the scene vault podcast. So either way, I really and truly would appreciate the support. Honestly, it would help me know that I'm doing the right thing with this deal. Also, I'd like to say thank you to Peter Salino and the team at Sentire Media for your belief and support of this podcast. I truly do appreciate it, guys. I would also like to thank Joey Stepp and his band Frantic Radio Beings for the theme music. And so until the next week, Pappy, rest in peace.